Shame on me. All right. Uh, if you would, go ahead, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, remember, as we've been going through, uh, back to the basics, uh, we've gotten up to the point where we're dealing with really the dispensation, the grace of God, right? So uh, just to kind of give us part of the chart that we're dealing with, Christ is crucified, is buried, raised again. Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned, right? Um, and we've talked about what takes place there. He sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And we know that we've talked about the fact that when that happens, that what Jesus Christ was doing was going to come back in vengeance and wrath. Uh, rather than that, in Acts chapter t uh, 9, Acts chapter 9, with the salvation of Saul of Tarsus, who's later also called Paul, uh, he begins this period of time in which our, our, body, our, our Bible actually talks about it's the dispensation of the grace of God, right? So it's the grace that God's doing. So rather than wrath and vengeance and war, he's bringing grace and peace. And we've kind of talked about that before that you go through every one of Paul's epistles and you see either grace and peace or grace, mercy and peace uh, because that's what he's putting on display today. Now, the last time we were here, we talked about, and I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit, uh, we talked about those positions out there in the heavens, the positions down here on the earth that is going to be part of God's reconciliation. But before we get there, something else takes place, and that's what we want to make sure that we talk about. So we've got 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, so if you would, go ahead and go get, go get Matthew 24 um, and just put a bookmark in that because we'll get over to that in just a second but Matthew chapter 50 uh, 15 verse 51 um, and we'll start reading here and then we'll get going all right so first Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 Paul says behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We're thankful for the revelation of this mystery truth. Uh, that we, we can come to a greater knowledge and appreciation of your word. And we know that the labor that we perform here is not in vain uh, because you have uh, a plan in which you're going to uh, bring things to pass and we're grateful to be able to be a part of that plan uh, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, a couple things that we mentioned there real quick. What Paul's dealing with, and he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. So, first of all, that should also clue us in on something. If, if he's going to tell us about a mystery, then what's that mean? Well, when we talk about the mystery over here, um, about the fact that God's revealed something to Paul, it means it's what? It's not been spoken of or talked about from before the foundation of the world. So when we get here, he's talking about a mystery about the, what most folks call the rapture, or the catching away the church, the body of Christ, okay? So then the thing that we have to keep in mind to begin with is, what's he call it there? He calls it a mystery, which means what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what, what Paul's dealing with here in 1 Corinthians 15, could it have ever been talked about or spoken about prior to 1 Corinthians 15 being written down? No. The answer is no, all right? So... Let's go back into Matthew chapter 24 real quick, um, just to kind of remind us about some things, okay? 
Um, and keep these things in mind. So what happens is the majority of the people, and we've, we've gone through Matthew 24 in the past, and it'd probably do us well to go through it again, but um, I, want us to notice, I want us to notice some things to be able to talk about this, not just accurately, but scripturally. And not just scripturally, but dispensationally. All right? Because the only way that this Bible will make sense to you is if you study it dispensationally. If you don't, you will be lost, as lost as an unsaved person, and that's not a good place to be. So, let's start off here, Matthew 24, verse 37, all right? Because what we have to keep in mind is there's a context to what everybody goes to, Matthew 24, to say that what we're going through now, or what, what's taking place now, or even over in... in um, Matthew chapter 25, you know, every time, every time there's a tornado, we had one come through last week, right? Um, did you all know that like three days after that, there was a, an earthquake up in northern Kentucky? Did you all hear about that? Yeah, it's over by the Ohio River. And what's interesting is Mayfield was the main place in Kentucky that was hit by the tornado. And Maysville, which is where the, uh, the earthquake took place, so it's kind of interesting, Mayfield and Maysville, because people kind of got those confused when they were talking about what happened. But <clears throat> that was something that took place. So then that stuff happens, and then you've got wars and rumors of wars. So everybody says, well, this is Matthew 24, 25. This is all this stuff. This is what's taking place. So Jesus is coming back. Well, let's take a look again, not just, not just knowing some stuff, but scripturally and also dispensationally. Let's take a look at this. Matthew 24, verse 37. He says, but as, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, the coming of the Son of Man is different. The coming is different than His appearing over here. Right? We've talked about that. And we've gone through that a few times before. But I want us to make sure that we see this. Okay? What is it that that Jesus Christ tells us here that we should connect the coming, his coming, what should we connect that to? The days of Noah, all right? So we don't have it here on the chart, but if you think back, what took place in the day of Noah? Well, Noah, Noah was told, go build an ark and then tell everybody to come into the ark, all right? And go get um, seven of every animal, two of certain animals, stuff like that and all that. He says, bring them into the ark, and what happens? It starts to rain, water's piling up, and then nobody else gets on the boat except for Noah and his family, right? So I want you to think about what was, what was going on there. Who, was, who is it that, that once, once all the water subsided, who was left on the earth was Noah and his family, right? Who was, who was it that was taken away by the water was who? Everybody else. So I want us to keep that in mind because that's what's going on. And what Christ is doing is he's pulling up a couple different things. First of all, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, there were eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And, know not, or, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. What's he tell us about those that didn't go on the ark, they were taken away, right? So he's telling us exactly what's going on here. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I want you to think about this. Again, who was left and who was taken away? The people that were left were Noah and his family. Those that were taken away was everybody else, right? And he's making this connection. Notice verse 40. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Now, according to the context in Matthew 24 here, who is it that's taken? The bad people, right? Those who didn't get on the ark. So who's going to be, who's going to be taken in Matthew 24? It's not the good guys. Who's left? The good guys, if you think of it that way. So that's the issue that he's bringing up. So then when somebody comes here and says, don't be left behind, according to Matthew 24. You want to be left behind in Matthew 24. Does that make sense? Because who's taken away in Matthew 24 
is those who were gone, they, they were sent to judgment, is really what it is. And then, then those that were left went on into this new renewing, if you will, where God says to Noah, I want you to have dominion, multiply, and have dominion on the earth. Same thing he told Adam, right? So then what's going to happen is one day when Jesus Christ comes, when he comes back, what's going to take place? There are people that's going to be left behind. They're going to do what? They're going to go into that kingdom. Those who are taken away are taken where? Down to the place where nobody wants to be taken. Are they going to be resurrected again? Who? The ones that are taken away. Yeah. Like the great white? Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's Revelation 20. Yeah. Now, that we see that difference, right? It's easy to see that difference because you just read the verses on the page and you just say, okay, I'm going to let the verses say what they say rather than saying, what's my doctrinal statement say? So let's, go and, let's go and interpret the scripture based on what I believe or what my doctrinal, ter- uh, uh, the, the doctrinal statement of the church says. I have one more question. Yeah. What, um, I think I know the answer, but just to clarify, what makes one bad and what makes one good at that point? At, at this point yeah. or back here? Matthew 24 point. Okay. <clears throat> so... Those, so those that are, so you got to think, right? Let me just put this in perspective. So we're gone, mm-hmm. right? Let me erase these real quick. Sorry. No, you're fine. No, that, that's fine. So what's going to take place is after we're gone, things are going to go back to the way they were back here, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to have 144,000 that's sealed, and then you're going to have... Um, Really, everybody else is going to be unsaved. So these people, what they're going to do is they're going to try and get folks to be a part of that little flock. Okay. Right? So then there's this idea. Does this happen right after the tr- right after the rapture? Does this stuff take place right after the rapture? Or is there a period of time that takes place for things to get built back up, if you will? All right? So there, there's different ideas about that. Um, you know, you stop and you think about that. How long did it take for every government in the world to shut down due to COVID? Didn't take long, did it? So do you need a whole bunch of time for everybody to go into chaos? And then, you know, because there's this idea that there's a, a generation of people before that stuff takes place. I don't know if you need that much time. I mean, you saw how quickly everything shut down all over the world. So it's not, I don't think it would take too long. Now, there is a period of time, but what's going to happen is you've got to have, you know, over here you had that little flock who was going to go out to all the world after they go to Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria, and then other parts of the earth. So there, that you're going to have those folks that are sealed. You're going to have those that become part of the little flock, and then you've got everybody else that's not part of the little flock. So if... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the unmarked people are still going to be. As, as far as what I can tell, yeah. <laughs> so, so the issue there is, is how you're going to be a part of that little flock in order to go, go into the kingdom, okay. right? Because he says, "What fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Now he's talking to these folks here, but we know that he's also going to be talking to those folks out there. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is during. The books of Hebrews through Revelation, that's going to be the doctrine, duty, walk, and destiny for those folks there, just as Romans through Philemon is for us. But they've also got to have an understanding of what was going on back here to be able to understand how things are going to work there. Um, So those that reject Christ, those that uh, reject the, the gospel that they're going to be preaching at that particular time, it'd be just as it is today. If you reject that gospel, then that's that's your destiny. It's just going to be a different, a different thing. But yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so then, because isn't that what's happened back in Noah? The gospel was get on the ark, and you'll be saved. They didn't believe, and they didn't get on the ark, so they were taken to judgment. So it'd be the same idea. That's a good question. Um, but notice, he gives us two examples. Then, then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. Verse 41, 
the women shall be grinding, two women shall be grinding at the wheel, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known uh, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Now, there's something that goes along with that. Um, we talked about, we did a study um, about the four watches. All right. Um, what's interesting about that is, is I think we did, I think we did that one like three or four different times and the audio kept messing up or something happened on pretty much every one of them, but we finally got it. So there's four watches, right? And what happens is once that fourth watch, this is really what that tribulation period is going to be. Um, again, we don't have time for that, but that's the idea. So he's saying what? But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. And what he's saying is, if you know when he's coming back, and you, you'll be able to know because you ever thought about this? You know, everybody tries to set dates today for the rapture. And what's interesting is they use prophecy to do so when the rapture isn't prophecy. And they try to create this timeline. And, you know, there's some folks, um, quote-unquote, well, there's some folks that teach that there's seven dispensations and each one of them is a thousand years and that's a 7,000. Well, that's not possible because we're living in one that's well over t almost 2,000 years. So, But they'll know. They've got seven years. They've got a certain number of days. They're going to know when he comes. And they'll be able to know exactly what, what they're looking for, too. Um, but what we want to make sure that we see here is this second coming of Christ is different than that. And that's the key, right? Because if you're left here, that's not good. If you're taken, that's good. Here, if you're taken, not good. Left is good. Two completely different things. They can't be the same. Yet people try to make them the same all the time. Um, real quick, go over to, because um, we, we've got to get some other things along with this as well, but uh, go real quick, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, And we kind of we've we've kind of talked about this one a little bit, um, so we won't spend a lot of time there because there's other things I want to make sure that we get. Uh, but also go get Romans chapter five. So First Thessalonians chapter four, because I want us to make sure that we we get this established. On the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine, there is an unprophesied. appearing of Christ. Go through the scriptures and find a time in the, in the, in the prophecies prior in the Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Go anywhere prior to Acts 9 and find a place where it says that Jesus Christ was going to appear on the road to Damascus. You're not going to find it. That's an unprophesied appearing of Christ that begins the dispensation of the grace of God. And there's also going to be an unprophesied appearing of Christ to end it. That's important for us to be able to know because this part here has never been talked about outside of Romans through Philemon. And if we had the big chart, if, if God didn't do this, then as soon as Stephen was stoned, they would pick up here and just go on. And then you and I probably wouldn't be in existence now. In all, in all truthfulness. So then, when we, when we take a look at these things, if the dispensation of the grace of God began with an unprophesied appearing, and it's going to end with an unprophesied appearing, if we understand those things, then it's easy for us to understand that the rapture has to be pre-trib. Has to be. Because the trib, the 70th week of Daniel, was to begin shortly after the stoning of Stephen. 
according to prophecy, that's when it was supposed to take place. The next thing on, on Israel's calendar was that 70th week of Daniel. God interrupted at a particular time and says, I'm going to do something different, something that we chose to do prior before the beginning of the world, and I'm going to reveal some information, and then we're going to pick back up as if nothing ever took place. And that's what we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's what we read about in 1 Corinthians 15. What's going to take place there is what? We're going to have a new body. And that's going to be a wonderful thing. Not just because we get rid of aches and pains and all the problems that life brings to this flesh, but also we're going to be able to glorify the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a whole new way that we've never thought about. So it's going to be interesting. But notice here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse, start off in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. <coughs> Notice, for the Lord himself, and I, 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 always, I always have to stop there because I want you to think about this. He doesn't send somebody else to come get us. You ever thought about that? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So you've got what's going to take place when Christ comes in this appearing. What's going to happen is the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which that are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the air. When Christ comes back to the second coming, he's coming down and touching on the earth. Here he doesn't. It's a completely different thing. All right? But notice <clears throat> what happens. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Go over to Romans chapter 5. Now, we're going to go back over to 1 Thessalonians here in a second, but I want us to get this stuff together. All right? Romans chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 9. Not only are we justified, not only do we have access, not only do we have all these things, not only did Christ, when we were without strength, die for us, not only did God commend his love toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice in verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? From wrath through him. We're not going to deal with that stuff. We won't have to. Continue on. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved from what? Really, he's talking about sin and wrath there, but specifically, he's dealing with that wrath. Go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. When, when we think about this, what, what, what happens is, a lot of times what people will do is they'll say, well... The tribulation and wrath, those are two different things. So what they do is they'll either say, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Um, and what they really started to do now is that post-trib, now they're starting to call it pre-wrath. And so then somebody will say, well, I'm pre-wrath. And they'll say, well, that's only that over there. And it just completely makes a mess out of everything. Um, but what we have to know and understand is the way that God has designed this, this dispensation has to end before that can take place. All right? Notice here in First, first Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> verse 9. 
For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had among you, or unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, notice, from the wrath to come. Now, that wrath has to not just do with that complete second coming world. It's all that stuff through there. So what happens is somebody tries to come along and say, well, pre-wrath is this thing, and that's different from this, and just makes a mess out of it. For whatever reason. Yeah. Do you know what that means? That means people's got more time on their hands to make a video than it does to study their Bible, and that's why they believe that stuff. It's called uh, after the tribulation. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, go get Titus chapter 2 <clears throat> get Titus chapter 2 um, notice this Titus chapter 2 verse 13, uh, verse 11 and 12 is dealing with the grace of God and what it teaches us and how to live and things like that. Verse 13, what is it that we're doing? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious, what's that next word? Appearing. appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What we're looking for is an appearing where he's going to appear. He's going to show up in the clouds and we're going to go and meet him in the clouds. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, um, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, when we start thinking about this, that's this right here that's going to take place. And then what's going to happen is, and what we're really going to be looking at today is, and, and we just kind of went through the verses because I think we all kind of know the basics of it, but I want us to make sure that we see this. With, the, with an unprophesied, unprophesied appearing of Christ to start it, and an unprophesied appearing of Christ to end it. Um, I just thought of something else that I wanted to put on here. Get uh, get first or Second Timothy chapter one. <clears throat> first Timothy or Second Timothy chapter one, and then I want us to look at some other things too in the last little bit of time that we have. Second Timothy chapter one. Um, let's start off in verse. Start off in verse 8. <clears throat> be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That appearing right there, that is now made manifest by the appearing of, of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that's this appearing here. So all the things that Paul's talking about, he's talking about this. That's the... That's the appearing that he's talking about there. The other ones that we're looking at is his second appearing. Neither of which you can find in Scripture at all. Question. No, just statement. It oh. seems that um, in mystery, uh, Christ is appearing. Mm -hmm. and, and prophecy is coming. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. so. Now, there are some other verses where Paul does mention him coming, but 
how is it that he's going to come is by appearing here, not coming to the actual earth, right? And so there, there, there's a difference. And so that's why, that's why there is kind of a, a, an issue with some folks. But really, this is an appearing, that's an appearing. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big issue, right? So that's one of those things that we want to make sure that we, we keep in mind. But that's a, that's a, good, that's a good point. Um, and you go on down through there, and it's really interesting what Paul brings up. But that appearing that he's talking about in 2 Timothy is this one. The other appearing that we just read about in Colossians, and then also over in 1 Thessalonians, is this appearing. Now, what I also want us to look at is, not only do we have that, and the only way that you, the only way that you can really get a pre-trib rapture is, and do it legally, and when I say legally, I mean scripturally and dispensationally, is you have to understand how to rightly divide the Bible. That and Matthew 24 are two different things. They have to be. Just read the verses, right? But here's the next thing I want us to look at. Go over to Romans chapter 14, all right? And, you know, we've, we've spent a bunch of time talking about this one as well, but I want to make sure that we have these things in, in this series of um, back to the basics, which, you know, as we've said before, basics to us might be meat to most church-going folks, right? And so their basics are, here's a Bible. No, I'm sorry. Uh, but I want us to see something here real quick. Notice in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? Notice, for we all, or for we shall all, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the question is, when does that take place? And we're going to talk about that. So, what's going to take place is we're going. Christ is going to come to the in, in the clouds, um, which is another thing we we're talking about a second ago. He's going to appear here. Those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. We're not going to prevent them. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together, and we're going to appear with him there. And then what's going to happen is we're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is what he's talking about here. What's he say? For we shall, what's that next word? All. He's talking about saved individuals in, in Romans chapter 14. In fact, when you read Paul's epistles, he's talking, for the majority of the time, he's talking to saved individuals. Okay? So he says, For we shall all appear, or for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Most people call that the Bema seat. Um, it's the judgment seat of Christ. So this is something that we know shall take place. Right? It's going to. He tells us that it's going to take place. Um, real quick, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to make sure that we see this. First of all, question. <clears throat> As a person living today in the dispensation of the grace of God, when you hear the gospel and you trust the gospel, then you're placed into that body of Christ, right? Question. Are your sins taken care of? Absolutely. When you get saved, you are forgiven of all trespasses, past, present, and future. They're already judged back here, and then we're given, if you will, like a clean bill of health. You have nothing against you. Isn't that great to know, by the way? Everybody around in the world will have something against us, but the one that matters, God doesn't. To me, that's, that's a wonderful thing. So what happens is, when we go to the judgment seat of Christ, and one of the things that I was always told as a younger person is, you're going to go and you're going to sit in front of like a big TV screen, and they're going to, God's going to sit there, Christ is going to sit there with you and watch your life, and they're going to say, there's a sin, and there's a sin. What were you doing there? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And that's not what it is. The judgment seat of Christ has absolutely nothing to do with sin at all. Right? That's taken care of back here, and His righteousness is imputed to us here. So no matter what, whatever we have over there, judgment seat of Christ, sin will not be judged there. That's not part of it. 
but I want us to see what is. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 really are dealing with that transformation of our body that we start off with in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be changed. Notice in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now stop there again. Isn't that the same phrasing basically as Romans 14, that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Now, in Romans it says we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? So, my, my idea is standing and appearing, there might be something there. Just kind of throw that out. Toss that in the back of your head. But keep on going. That, why should, why should we stand or why should we appear before the judgment seat of Christ? That everyone may receive the things done. What's that next word? In. in the body, not with the body, right? right? So I want you to stop and to think about this. We've talked about this before. What is in, so you've got spirit, soul, and body, right? You have a body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. What's inside your body right now is your spirit and your soul. So when he says you're going to receive the things done in his body... He's not talking about what your body does. It's what you do with these two things that are in your body. Does that make sense? So then here's what we're going to do. Notice, according to, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Question, even as a saved person, can you store up bad doctrine in your spirit and your soul? Yeah. And you can. Can you, can you develop good doctrine in your spirit and soul? And then what you work or produce from that good doctrine or bad doctrine will be whatever the outcome may be. So what are we doing with or what are we doing in our bodies, right? We know the outward man perishes, but the inward man, inward man is renewed day by day. What we do with that inner man is the issue. So that's what he's dealing with. Notice verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, when we look at that, is is it us that's terrified by the Lord, or is it those people that we're trying to persuade? Because there's there there's there's some folks out there that said that the judgment seat of Christ is something to be terror to have terror over or to be afraid of, but it's not. He's saying because we know the terror of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade men because what we know that they're going to go through one day will be this or or I should say, and that, right? So then we go on down through there. Notice, <clears throat> that's the issue. I want us to make sure that we see that's the issue. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if we know that one of these days we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we know that we're going to go and stand or appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to judge those things that we've done in our bodies. Well, what is it that we need to make sure that we do? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 lets us know. Um, let's start off in verse, uh, verse 7. Okay, uh, And I hate to break into the context here, but let's, we'll just break in here. Verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he's talking about, uh, you know, he and Apollos, one waters, one, one, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. But what's the thing? They're both doing stuff, right? Verse, verse 9, or verse 8. He that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Notice that word reward is singular, not plural. So keep that in mind. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Notice verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how. He buildeth thereupon. 
Now, I want you to stop and think about this real quick. What is it that we're to build upon is the foundation that Paul laid, and how is it we're supposed to build is according to the grace of God that was given to Paul. So what he's talking about is you need to get in here and build up this doctrine inside you so you can actually live, and then what's going to happen is how you build that doctrine up now will directly correlate with and impact what you do out in the heavens, what we talked about last week, right? Now notice, <clears throat> the issue there is what are you building? Not only that, but edification. When you build something, when you build something up, the you know, he says, you're God's building. There, there's, a, there's a structure. There, you know, Paul talks about the, the form of sound words. There's a structure to it. And he's saying, take heed how you build thereupon. So this, this edifice or this, you know, when you talk about edification, you're building this structure of, of edification. It's an edifice. You know, you, you know what an edifice is. Like you look at the front of the building, it's a structure of it. So then what we've got to think about is there's a structure to God's word. We know that. We understand that. Okay. But if you go back and you read Romans 14, part of that judgment seat of Christ also has to do with the edification of each other. So what are you doing with that doctrine that's in you? Are you storing up good doctrine and teaching other people good doctrine so that you can edify them and build them up so that they can build themselves up and then go and, you know, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're to take the, the information that was given to Paul, store it up in our souls so that we can store it up so that we might be able to, to the next person, Give them the exact same doctrine to build them up. And then that person takes it and gives it to another person and so on and so forth. That's the issue is not just, not just building yourself up, but building others up too. Verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones wood, hay, or stubble, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Well, what's the day? The day is the judgment seat of Christ. What's going to happen is that day is going to declare whether you built up good doctrine in yourself or bad doctrine. That's what he's dealing with. But notice, <clears throat> because it shall be revealed by Fire. Now, you, you go back and you find out what is he going to be dealing with is he's going to measure the doctrine that you've built up in your soul against that book. What's going to happen to the bad doctrine? Notice. Um, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Not how much is there, but what sort it is. So he's dealing more there with quality rather than quantity. There's a lot of people out there doing a bunch of stuff and saying, well, I'm storing up for rewards for, at the judgment seat of Christ, and they don't have the doctrine right, but they're trying to go about doing things, and they're going to say, I'm going to be rewarded by doing things. Works with their own hands. Works with their own hands, what the flesh can produce. Well, what do we find out? If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, thereupon he shall receive a, notice, reward singular. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he, shall, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So then, do we see that the sins there aren't the issue? They're still going to be saved. But what's going to happen is, is there's folks that don't study the Bible at all, and they're going about trying to establish their own righteousness and do things and say, look at all the things that I've done here. And people are going to look and say, well, you must be a wonderful person. I want to go and be like you. And then what happens is both those people end up losing all the work that they put in. And it's going to be worthless. And it will be vain, as Paul says. Right? And that's why we start off, he says, we don't want our work or our labor to be in vain. How is it going to be vain? 
if, it's, if there's nothing there. If we show up at the judgment seat of Christ and we have nothing other than the fact that we're saved, praise the Lord, hallelujah, all that, but our work here would be in vain if we have just salvation. You ever thought about that? We're still going to be saved. We're not going to lose salvation. But our work, the things that we spent our entire lives doing, and what he's dealing with here is, are we building up Pauline truth in our body and in our soul and our spirit, what we're doing in the body? Are we building up Pauline truth or Pauline truth, or are we building up prophecy truth? Do we think that we're the nation of Israel? We might be saved, and we think that we're the nation of Israel, and I'm going to go and give everything that I have, and I'm going to look good here on earth to other people burned up at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Still going to be saved, but the life that we have here is going to be what the work we do there would be vain. And so as we go down through here, that's the issue that he's talking about. So he's saying, we're all going to, we're all going to stand and appear at the judgment seat of Christ, and the things that we've done in our body are going to be judged, whether it be good or bad. And then, no matter what, what's going to happen is, is he's going to go and present us to the Father as unblameable and unreprovable and, and without spot and blemish. And everybody's going to have all that, all the bad stuff, all the bad doctrine that we've stored up in our soul uh, is gone, done away with. Um, so then when we spit and holler and all this stuff about you got to study the Bible the right way, there's a reason. Not that we get stuff, but what? That His work that He's doing in us is not in vain. And that's really the issue. Because what's going to happen is, is when we're going, we're presented to the Father, the Son's going to say, this is what the Holy Spirit's work did in and through these people to glorify you, and I'm going to present you to the Father. That's amazing. It does. It change, you know, and it changes hopefully our thought process in life. You know, we've talked about it before when when we go through something in life. If we don't have some doctrine built up in us, if we think we're Israel and we're going through something, what's our thought process? Well, God must be punishing me according to Deuteronomy. Or I'm not doing things I need to do. <clears throat> Maybe I need to double check, make sure I'm tithing right. Or double check, make sure I'm praying right. Or double check, make sure that whatever it is. If we think that we're Israel, maybe my baptism didn't work and I need to go get another one. Whatever it is. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> if if we think, well, we don't we don't have the the appearance of speaking in tongues. Maybe we're out of the will of God. If we live our life that way our entire life, once we're there, our work would be in vain. And that's, like you said, grieving the Holy Spirit. That brings a whole new idea to that because that's what it is. The life that we have here not only glorifies the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit here, but it also will out there in the ages to come, which we've not gotten to yet, but we will. Right? So then when we take a look at this, we've got, you know, we, we've mentioned this before. The life that we have now should be the praise and honor and glory of His grace. Our catching away will be to the praise and honor and glory of His grace. That judgment seat of Christ will be to the praise and honor and glory of His grace. And when we're going and we're presented to the Father as perfect, where, and we'll talk about this a little bit in the next session, where our standing and our state will actually be the exact same thing forever and ever. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next session. Okay? Um, but this gets us to the end of um, 
with the rapture of the church, we that gets us to the end of the 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 but now period. So next week we'll talk about the ages to come. And what's interesting is I'm I'm convinced that this is happening during that at least the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. You think it's going to take three and a half years? I don't know. It may may not. I mean, you got to think, over the past almost 2,000 years, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be taken a look at. Um, But at least the first three and a half years, possibly, maybe less. But we can't be here because we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. Question. Uh, Hmm? He'll be in the heavens, yeah. Yeah, but and they're gonna war and fight, and then in the middle of it, they're tossed down to the earth. And we take their places. Yeah. But I just wonder. I can only imagine what he will be doing as we are being, as we are going through the judgment seat. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> there's there's a whole, and here's the thing. This is what we've talked about before, right? There's a whole bunch of activity up there right now. Things are going on right now that we don't, we're not aware of. You know, when you go, when you go over to Daniel and, and <clears throat> Gabriel's sent to Daniel and it takes him 21 days to get there, it's not because God has timing on things. It's because he's fighting principalities and powers on his way down to Daniel. So he's going to be distracted and busy. He's going to be busy. There's stuff, there's stuff that's taking place now. You know, you stop and think about how much chaos is in the world. And then you go back to the things that we've talked about before, Brother Jordan brought up down in Tennessee. Every, every nation has their own God. And when nations down here are fussing and fighting, those little G gods are fussing and fighting. There's chaos up there all the time. That's why, you know, we talked about last week or the week before, the, the heavens are unclean because that's what's going on. You've got all these fallen angels that are fussing and fighting all the time. And then you wonder why why the things on earth are the way they are. That's why. Um, but yeah, he's, they've got all kinds of problems now, much less then. Um, but that, you know, he now knows that we'll supersede right. his position. And that's why they're still fighting. Yeah, little mud guy. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, so like I said, that gets us to the end of the dispensation of the grace of God, the but now we'll start talking about the ages to come next week and we'll see how all that stuff works together. Perfect timing.